March Madness 365 with Andy Katz is presented by Grammarly. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that gives your team an instant first draft in a few clicks, not a few hours. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. Grammarly works seamlessly across 500,000 apps and websites. Get personalized on-brand writing help everywhere your team works. Learn what better writing can do for your company at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done. Welcome to the latest edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz. Well, we are winding down summer. hate to say that out loud. Uh, as we're getting closer and closer to the start of the fall semester around the country. Some schools have already started. The quarter schools will start probably a week or so after Labor Day. Uh, there is no question that uh, college basketball, as college football, is just starting. Uh, college basketball is around the corner because media days start, believe it or not, on October 2nd with the Big Ten. As we are recording, uh, the Big Ten will be on October 2nd. The WCC, October 3rd in Las Vegas, the Big Ten in Chicago. October 8th, the ACC in Charlotte, the Pac-12 in San Francisco, we're still waiting officially on the Big East. My gut is it'll be around October 10th in New York City. Uh, Monday, October 14th, that's the American in Philadelphia. Wednesday, October 16th, that's the SEC in Birmingham. Wednesday, October 23rd, that's the Big 12 in Kansas City. And Thursday, October 24th, the Atlantic 10 at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn. Uh, on this edition of our show, I'll be joined by DePaul's Dave Lato. And Dave and I are going to talk about their trip overseas where they played um, in Italy. Talk about the eligibility of Charlie Moore, uh, who was a two-time transfer from Cal in Kansas. Dave Lato's three-game suspension for a violation by a former assistant coach. Uh, And the tragic, tragic death of a DePaul student manager who had been battling cancer. We're going to go into that, uh, what he meant to the program, to Dave Lato, to the players. You know, he brought them so much strength as an inspiration while he was battling, uh, you know, this just vicious cancer that ended up taking his life in August. So Amir Sahi, we will discuss him and his impact on the Blue Demons. Also, we're going to talk to USC's Andy Enfield, uh, the Trojans, with a highly touted recruiting class. Uh, they just returned from Spain and France. So we will get into that with Andy Enfield. Uh, one thing that I just want to plant a seed with you is that uh, coming in October, we've got some changes to the podcast for the better. We're going to add a lot of other elements that I think you'll really enjoy. Right at the time, we're going to start with power rankings and all that. Uh, so, you know, it's going to be almost like a mini college basketball show, a mini cat's corner that I used to do on ESPNU. Uh, so you'll have even more opportunity to not just hear from coaches and players and newsmakers and other media, other analysts, but we'll also go over the week that was the week ahead. And, uh, actually we're also going to do something I'm going to start today on our taping here is sort of a top five, and it could be a lot of different things from the previous week, but there are so many teams that are re- going on these foreign trips in August, 
and uh, some are still out there. Northwestern just left for Paris. They're in a, one of the quarter schools. So uh, what I wanted to do was at this juncture, give you my top five players who had a major impact on their trip, who I think will have a major impact on this season. Uh, and I'm going to start with, and I'm hoping I'm pronouncing this correctly. Dave Tell, the USC SID, I think gave me the right phonetics in what he put on his site. <laughs> I hope so. Uh, and that is Onyeka Okongwu. Onyeka Okongwu. He is highly touted, big forward for the Trojans, had 22 in their last game in Paris. He's expected to have a monster season for USC. So he's at number one in terms of a player that I thought had a great trip and will have a major impact for a team. Number two, Dejon Giroux. Dejon Giroux for Houston. He had 22 in their last game in Italy. Um, with all the, the attrition on the perimeter for Houston, a team that I think still can be in the NCAA tournament, they need Giroux to be a go-to guy and a player that Kelvin, Ans- Kelvin Sampson can lean on. And so I think him having a great trip was critical for them, and I'm putting him at that two spot. Number three, Elijah Hughes from Syracuse. Finished their trip to Italy with 20. He's the most experienced player returning. He's a transfer from East Carolina. Had a great last game for them in the postseason. He will be their anchor, their go-to guy, and he delivered on this trip. So he's number three. Number four, Solomon Young of Iowa State. He's been injury-riddled the last two seasons, but they need him, desperately need him. If they're going to reach their potential, Tyrese Halliburton is going to obviously be their stud. But inside, they need Solomon Young. He had 17 in their last game. And if that's an indicator for the Cyclones, that's huge for them. So number four, Solomon Young from Iowa State. Number five, I'm going to talk about him with Dave Lato, is Charlie Moore. Two-time transfer. Cal, Kansas, now DePaul. Had a great trip for the Blue Demons in Italy. He is appealing to be eligible. If he gets a waiver, then DePaul certainly has a chance to move up from that lower group in the Big East. So that's my list right now in terms of the five impact players that had really good foreign trips that will have an impact on their teams this season, the fifth being assuming or if he gets eligible. At one, Onyeku Okongwu from USC. At two, Dejon Giroux from Houston. At three, Elijah Hughes from Syracuse. At four, Solomon Young, Iowa State. And at five, Charlie Moore from DePaul. Uh, so that's kind of an element that you will get throughout the course of the season. We will sort of throw different lists in there and we will repeat them on social as well. All right, let's get to our interviews. Let's discuss these trips. Uh, we're going to start off this podcast with Dave Lato from DePaul. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, DePaul head coach Dave Lato is the Blue Demons are back from Italy, going 3-0 on a foreign tour, one of many uh, schools across the country, men's and women's, that uh, have gone on foreign trips in the month of August. And uh, a lot to get to with you, Dave. Let's first go over uh, the trip itself. This is going to be an interesting season, and you still don't know fully what the roster is because there's a big piece 
we don't know. And that being uh, Charlie Moore, a two-time transfer, who's with you, who played very well on this trip. Um, so let's first talk about him and what he did on this trip and then segue into uh, his status and whether or not he can play this season. Yeah, thanks, Andy. And uh, yeah, Charlie is a, a very interesting uh, story. You know, obviously, as you mentioned, he's transferred. Uh, this is his, his third school, and many reasons for that. But on, on the trip, he was very good. And he'd been around us for the majority of the summer. And so we kind of knew in workouts that, you know, his capabilities, and I've known him for since he was in high school. So, you know, he came out in his first game, and he got 29 points. But, but more than his ability to score, and he's kind of just at a, a scoring point guard as opposed to pure point guard but he has great command command not only of himself but command of a gym and command of a team and I think that's a presence particularly with the amount of new people that we're trying to integrate into the lineup that, that we desperately need so uh, we're hopeful uh, but I think his overall presence and, and the way he played in those three games showed the kind of talent that we all knew that he has, has possessed and and will come back to. So he started his career at Cal then Kansas now DePaul what's the process of whether or not he'll be able to play right away rather than having to sit? Yeah, well, as uh, as NSA has always been able to provide, you know, the, the waiver process has been underway. We've submitted it, kind of going back and forth with making sure we uh, give them all the information that they need to provide a quality assessment and then, you know, hopefully a positive result. And so, you know, he's a Chicago guy who... Um, you know, has been through a lot in his in his personal life with with uh, respect to his father and now his mother both being ill and so uh, he was coming home to be around them anyway and uh, you know obviously this is an opportunity where he can he can be at school close to his home and be able to provide both physical and emotional support uh, for them and so you know we're hopeful but it's it's I think been a relief for him uh, to be around them and just be back at home and you can tell the way his body language is the way he walks around campus and, and how he feels about himself and the people around him so he's uh what people don't know he's a tremendous tremendous very humble young man and and uh, uh we've gotten a great chance to spend some good time particularly in europe with him and just getting in depth with his personality which is really refreshing well first of all i think it's great that he could play on the trip in lieu of not knowing whether or not he's gonna be eligible this season i think that's a a positive development in, in allowing players like that to do that. One last thing on him. Um, if you were to pinpoint, I know you weren't around him on a daily basis, uh, why maybe he wasn't as successful at, you know, for longer periods or more consistently at Cal. Uh, I know they were not as good then. And also at Kansas, you know, it was a little bit of a backlog at that position. But is there anything that you can pinpoint that you saw before you he, you got him? <laughs> Well, you know, and I, and I hate to dissect and get into other people's programs. And I know when, when uh, Conzo, who's a really good friend of mine, had him at Cal and, you know, had a really successful freshman year. And one of the best freshmen that the Pac-12 had seen that, that particular year. He had 38 points very early in, in his career. Uh, so he was on a path as a double-figure freshman scorer to have a really good college career. And then, you know, Conzo's move away from, from Cal uh, prompted Charlie to transfer and and uh, you know that they had a really really good relationship to still do. Uh, Kansas is Kansas, and so that opportunity presented itself. And a sit out year, you know, kind of does some positive things to you in terms of getting ready, but it also you know kind of takes away your competitiveness because you're just not on edge every single day getting ready for games. And then, as you mentioned, you know, a little bit of log jam with Dotson coming in there, and I think at first they shared some playing time, but then uh, he didn't get as much. Uh, but, you know, what, what I know about him and, and uh, I know through the experience and talking to the coaches that he'd never 
never complained, never lost his zest, never lost his readiness. It was just, you know, a matter of, of uh, somebody getting more playing time than him. Uh, but, you know, that didn't affect a lot. I think he was planning on being there and, and loved his time there, loved his teammates. And obviously it's a very successful winning operation. Uh, but then the family issues started to grow increasingly more challenging. I think that's why. So I, I believe in him. I always have from the time I saw him in high school. And I think it's been a matter of just getting that edge back, uh, getting that swagger back. And I think what the summer has provided thus far, particularly on the trip, is that he's, he's gotten a chance to really reestablish himself as a, as a very high-level player. If he's not eligible, who, who else stepped up for you? I know you, you lose Max Struess, who was a sort of Mr. Everything. Uh, I know you bring back Paul Reed. Uh, who's a very good rebounder, but is there someone, you know, sort of that next guy or maybe co-equal with Charlie that was on this trip that if he's not eligible, certainly can step into that role of being a go-to scorer? Yeah, so, you know, we we probably have a a group of of guys that are very versatile. And so even with Charlie, and especially as you mentioned, without, there's going to be a number of guys that will do a number of different things on different days. And that's not being evasive. I think it's being truthful in that, you know, we talk about Paul and, and Paul's made improvements in his body, improvements in his game. And so he'll be one of the guys that we rely on a, a lot this coming year and should be one of the better guys in, in the Big East. Uh, then we have some guys that are, that are filling in new roles because, as you mentioned, Max not being there, who, who meant so much. And Darius Hall, who sat out last year from Arkansas, is a very energetic, very athletic player who can play very well at both ends. Uh, not obviously as skilled as Max, but can do a lot, you know, in the open court, can do a lot driving to the basket, is improving himself as a shooter. Uh, our freshman, Romeo Weems, uh, he's very, very mature, works really hard, very serious about the game and his versatility too, almost like Darius, but in, in a little bit of a different way as players, uh, is going to bring a lot to the table. You know, his, his rebound and his maturity, the ability to make plays, he can put the ball in his hands and, and see people and he can play, you know, inside of 18 and he's working to, to make sure that, that, uh, perimeter jump shots getting better. And, you know, it's obviously as, as we can talk about that a little bit because of the three point line moving back, but, He'll do something for us, and, uh, and we have some guys in the backcourt that are just kind of getting themselves organized. We we played with some with some injuries uh, over there, and so uh, three or four of our, our backcourt players did not participate. So we'll get a little bit of a boost in the fall when we get a little bit more guys in the backcourt. You know, Jalen Coleman-Lance, who I expect will have a really good year, is just recovering from an injury, and Marquise Jacobs as well, who had an ACL back in January. Those guys, I think, will make contributions for us as well. Uh, Dave, for you personally, the season, um, you know, practice-wise will be normal, uh, but you're going to have to f- sit those first three games. Uh, this was way back uh, early July. This came out, um, and it's, you know, the coach control rule. This has been happening for years now. Nothing that you personally did, but it was a former associate head coach that had violated the rules according to the NCAA. So how are you going to handle those first three games not being able to coach? Yeah, you know, we, we've just begun to kind of work ourselves through, and I don't know that I've put, you know, all, all the uh, things that are critically important together in terms of that structure, Andy. Uh, but it, it'll probably be business as usual, except for those 40 minutes. Uh, I'm, I'm not... Uh, uh, 
best to stay out of practices or anything like that so I can be around and, and we'll, we'll manage the, the guys. I think it most importantly is making sure that the guys know uh, that the voice, you know, and, and, and takes over is just an extension of who I am and, and what we're trying to do. And so we'll have game prep as normal go and it'll be just those 40 minutes over three games. And so, um, you know, I, I don't want to make too big a deal of it, but when your head coach is not there, obviously that's a, it's something you have to, to make up for whether it was, you know, what we're dealing with suspension or illness or anything that has kept coaches off the sidelines. And so um, as we get deeper into October and preparation of the season, we'll zero a little bit more as it pertains to the guys on, on what it's going to feel like. We'll probably have some practices that I may just stand on the sideline and not do anything or say anything so that they can get a little bit used to uh, the prominent nature of another voice of voices uh and shouting instructions and and talking about strategy so um you know we we'll we'll deal with it uh, as we need to and as we have to dave one last thing on this i mean this had nothing to do with the fbi investigation this was a separate issue uh but this is something that the ncaa infractions certainly going forward is going to be even harsher on of, of holding head coaches accountable for something their assistant did or anyone within their program, even prior to this, where did you stand on that being a deterrent and using that as sort of a heavy to try to get a point across to, to you know, all coaches uh, to abide by the rules? Yeah, I mean, this, the chair that I sit in comes with a ton of responsibility, as you know, and, and uh, coaches probably get, uh, on the college level anyway, you know, much more scrutiny than, than coaches in the professional ranks or, or any other uh, level. But, you know, it comes with a tremendous amount of responsibility. It's a 24-hour a day, 365 uh, day a year situation where you just have to be on point you know obviously that responsibility comes with you know things like this, that that you have to be able to understand and manage and continually teach and coach you know, your coaches your staff your personnel and how to do things that being said and accepting that responsibility there's, there's absolutely no way anybody in any situation can you know uh, no, I don't want to use the word responsible because we are responsible, but but knowing as to what guys do and what they don't do, your players, your managers, everybody, and so uh, it, it, it's a little bit of a head scratcher sometimes. We look at it you know, at its at its surface uh, and and at face value because it seems a little bit. Uh, I don't even want to use the word unfair, but it seems a little bit uh, unjust to know that you know the, somebody decides to do something, uh, even though you could have counseled them 24 hours a day. That's their particular choice, and regardless of what you've done and how you've managed the atmosphere within your program. Uh, but I get it. I understand what they're trying to do. They're trying to manage a, a sometimes unmanageable situation across the board, and so this is part of it. And, and as you mentioned, it not, wasn't something that I that I did, or wasn't something that I instructed, or wasn't something I was in the middle of. And so uh, I understand that. I think the people around me at DePaul understand it as well. But uh, you know, just have to kind of move on from it and understand that it's just part of what comes with the responsibility. And, and who will be that head coach during those three games? But well, we're going to sit down. We, you know, we just had a little bit of movement on our staff. We, we brought in Mark Shue, who, who came to us from Western Kentucky. So we're, we're just going to kind of sit down as a staff and figure it out once we get started with school. I haven't, I haven't talked to anybody about it. I haven't talked to uh, Jeannie, my athletic director, about it. And we're just kind of trying to get through the summer and, and, as you mentioned, get this roster intact before we, before we move forward on things like that. Yeah, and just to clean this up, it was a former uh, associate head coach who, according to release, knowingly directed the former – 
uh, assistant director of basketball operations to provide an impermissible recruiting benefit to recruit. Now, I, I don't I want to this is a hard segue, but you and your staff and your team experienced an incredible loss to a member of your DePaul family. You know, student managers are family. They basically help basketball teams run uh, across the country, male, female. And uh, the tragedy of losing your student manager to to cancer uh, earlier this month. Um, if you could just take me through what Amir meant to you um, and, you know, where you were when you got the news uh, and, and basically how you're processing this. Yeah. And so, you know, uh, Amir uh, Sahi and his family, his dad, Sonny, his mom, Ruby, have been part of our, our family for a long time. And, uh, you know, Shane Hyman is this guy that I hired from La Lamere. Uh Amir was there and helped their basketball program at La Lamere. And so he was more than just a stranger walking in the door, wanted to help a basketball program out. So he, he came in and he was part of the program. And I, you know, I, I think that we have a tremendous, tremendous group of managers and support staff. I think most programs across the country do it. I think they, they're soldiers that don't get a lot of attention and there probably should be more on the positive things that they do for a program. But Amir was right smack dab in the middle of all of that. He was fun loving, loved basketball, quick witted, very sharp, uh, stated his opinion. Didn't matter if he disagreed with you or not. Uh, got a lot of respect in a lot of different areas from a lot of people. And so, you know, for the time that he was functioning with us, we, we loved him, loved being around him. And he was growing into one of those guys that you knew at some point was either going to be the head manager or go on to do great things. That's what his family was grooming him for. And so uh, this past winter, when, when uh, his illness became a little bit more uh, unbearable for he and his family, he, he went into... Northwestern uh, Hospital in, in about January, early January, and so you know, we found ourselves being much more connected on an emotional level than we even were before. Uh, just the weekly visits and kind of bringing the guys around and, and connecting uh, his story, what was going on through his disease and how it had affected him, and just kind of cheering him on and you know making sure that he got better and, and making plans for him to come back and rejoin us on the basketball court, do all the things necessary. And so, as he was there from January all the way until you know late July and into August, uh, we really started to love, love him more and love his family more and everybody, his grandparents, people are coming in from all over the world to see him. You know, we, we made it a big point during the season to honor him at, at our games in different ways. And so uh, losing him, Andy, was, was a tremendous, tremendous blow to everybody in our basketball family, me in particular, because it, it was very emotional. Uh, we were in uh, Europe at the time when we found out you know, that he had passed on and we had just before we left celebrated his 21st birthday together at his house. We, we drove out to Indiana to see him, got a big smile out of him and, uh, and didn't know that that was going to be the last time we got a chance to speak to him. And so, uh, until this moment, I still talked to his dad again by text this morning and, you know, just something that's is extremely tragic and on any level, but given the fact that you have a 21 year old young man who's just beginning his life, it, it really is a jolt to our, to our program. But, you know, as his father has always said all along and continues to say that, you know, he left us with so much more uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll have a legacy that we can use to, that has brought a lot of things, a lot of people together in a very positive way. And we're going to use that to our advantage to create better opportunities for those who may be stricken with, with uh, NFs. And I know you guys will honor him, I'm sure, throughout the course of this season as well. 
Yeah, we will. You know, we'll we'll, we'll sit together with with uh, mom and dad and you know the people at DePaul and see how we can best move forward and and honor him and and his legacy. And uh, uh, again, I think it's something that uh, should never happen to anybody at any stage, any level, but particularly somebody as young as he. Well, our condolences go out to the to the Sahi family and, of course, to all everyone at DePaul that I know he touched. Uh, throughout the course of his time there. Uh, Dave, I appreciate it. Um, try, if you can, to enjoy the, the final few weeks of summer. Uh, you guys will be back at it uh, just about a week after Labor Day. And, uh, you know, if Charlie Moore gets there, maybe if he doesn't, it uh, sounds like things are certainly heading in the right direction uh, for this season uh, at DePaul coming off of the CBI appearance uh, where he went against a pretty good USF team uh, last March. So uh, appreciate it, Dave. Thank you. Okay. Thanks. Always a pleasure to talk to you, my man. And coming up next year on March Madness 365, my conversation with USC's Andy Enfield. And joining me now here on March Madness 365, USC head coach Andy Enfield, fresh off a European trip uh, as the Trojans uh, participate in games in Spain, in Barcelona, the South of France, and in Paris. And Andy, let's first deal with your overall impressions of the trip from a basketball perspective first. What did you learn? It was a great experience, Andy, for our entire team. We have eight new players, seven eligible to play because we're one sit-out transfer. So it's important for our team to get some practices and then go play together because we have to develop a chemistry before the uh, actual season starts in November. When you were heading into this trip, um, in terms of positions, I mean, like like you said, you had seven that could play. Uh, what were you most looking forward to learning about this group, uh, let alone obviously their their chemistry and all that, but on the court, where were you hoping to gain sort of the most knowledge? Well, the chemistry is one thing. The, the offensive explosiveness, the defensive ability, we, we have a lot of things we wanted to see, uh, what lineups would play well together, and, and then as a team, what we have to work on when we get to back to the United States and practice. Uh, so I, I thought it was a great trip. Uh, for those reasons, uh, to get a feel for seeing five new freshmen, actually four new freshmen because the fifth one was injured, did not play. Uh, but to see four new faces, uh, then the two grad transfers, uh, gel together with the upperclassmen. Uh, so, so it gave us a, a really uh, scorecard as far as how we evaluate our players, who plays well together, what lineups, because we'll have a great mix of size and length up front with some big wings and some big guards, and then we have some smaller uh, creators who are freshmen, and we thought they did a terrific job. So we have a lot of flexibility in our lineup. So this trip gave us a feel of the coaching staff about what we could or couldn't do. So the timing was great uh, because you've got this heralded freshman class led by, I'm hoping I'm reading the phonetics correctly here, uh, Onyeka Okongwu, is that right? Yes. Okay. Oh, I got that right. That's pretty good. <laughs> good phonetics from Dave Tuttle. Um, so, obviously, he comes in highly touted. Uh, how would you grade him? Well, and yeah, he can play terrific basketball. He defends. He, he's a rim protector, and he also scores the ball. He shoots at, at an extremely high percentage. I think he shot about 80% from the field uh, in the three games. So, he's ahead of schedule. He's as good as advertised, and he's a terrific young man. How about the other freshmen? They play very well, uh, too. Uh, uh, Isaiah Mobley, a McDonald's All-American, did not play. He had a foot injury. He should be healed here in the next two weeks, so he should be good to go. But, unfortunately, he was not participating in the games, although he did work out when we were overseas. But the other three freshmen, Max Edmond-Pola, 
He, he really surprises us with his athleticism. He's about a six foot eight wing player that can play both forward spots. And then our two point guards, uh, combo guards, Kyle Sturdivant and Ethan Anderson, uh, really played uh, great together. They played well on the ball and off the ball. You know, Andy, you've had a, a, a very sort of at least outside persona, being very chill and not getting too high or too low. But I'm just curious internally here. Two years ago, we've talked about this. You were adamant that, you know, you felt you had a good case to be in the NCAA tournament. It didn't happen. Last year, um, you know, we didn't know what to expect. Benny Boatwright obviously was going to be the leader um, and not able to get through there. You know, can you describe sort of the frustration level of, of the end of the season of, of not being able to sort of reach your own and, and team goals over the last couple of years? Well, two years ago, we, we did reach our team goals in a standpoint of uh, having a terrific regular season. We came in second place in the Pac-12 for the first time in 25 years at USC. So we, we had a lot of accomplishments that season. Uh, we won the Diamond Head Classic, et cetera, and then we had two kids drafted in the NBA. So so we, we really had a great season two years ago. Now, last year was frustrating for all of us uh, here at USC. We had a lot of injuries early. Benny Butler was out eight months, didn't come back until – uh, missed quite a few games early in the season. Kevin Porter and Elijah Weaver are freshmen. Elijah was out three months. Uh, KP was out three different times, significant time, two months during the season uh, and, and another uh, month in the preseason. And, and then at the end of the year, missed a few other games. So we had a lot of injuries last year that hampered our development early on. And then we just didn't have the consistency necessary, especially on the defensive end uh, during the Pac-12 season. So we ended up 500, and then that's what we probably deserve to be. We lost a lot of close games. Our record probably could have been three or four, maybe five games better if uh, some of those buzzer beaters that we missed would have gone in. We missed three or four of them. So, so we, we had a kind of uh, an up-and-down year, and, and uh, but you have to make your own luck. You have to perform down the stretch. You have to uh, get stops and, and make those last-second shots if, if you're going to have a 500 team that could be four or five games better, those have to go in for you. So uh, we, we felt that uh, our team last year was um, had some potential, but but we just uh, we were too inconsistent in a variety of areas, and therefore we, we need to build on that, uh, learn from our mistakes, and also take some of the positives from last season and move forward. You know, you brought up a great point because, uh, and I've had this conversation with a lot of coaches, you know, Let's say hypothetically you'd gotten in two years ago and lost in the first round. You know, the prism of that, people would have judged this team or the program a little bit differently. And yet you did everything but that. And that was out of your control. Uh, So it's interesting how everyone gets judged by that. uh, And yet you had a, a really good season. As you said, you finished second. Uh, and and sometimes I think, and we're all guilty of this. I know uh, those of us in the in the media do uh, are as well. And sometimes we have to take a step back and say, okay, wait a minute. They had a good year. It was just you know maybe it was one game, whatever it was, one decision that didn't put them in that post that particular postseason tournament. Yet we shouldn't taint the entire season uh, because clearly, you know, you as you said, you checked a lot of the boxes for what you wanted to accomplish two years ago. Sure. Well, I think you you brought a very good point. Just because a team doesn't make the NCAA tournament, so some of that's out of your control. In fact, a lot of it's out of your control. Sure, we could have won a few other games, uh, and our best player, our highest draft pick, I should say, didn't play a single game for us that year, so that obviously hurt us as well. But uh, what Jordan McLaughlin, Schmezzi Metu did for that team with Elijah Stewart, another senior, 
uh, th- those guys were, were amazing uh, what they meant to the program because we had just been to two NCAA tournaments prior to that season. We went in ranked 10th in the nation, and obviously uh, D'Anthony didn't play any games for us, uh, but we, we still, I thought we overachieved because Benny Bowler, the leading scorer, got hurt and missed half the season. So here we are. After that diamond head of, uh, win, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah, he, after we won the diamond head, he had that big shot to win the diamond head. He came back here during the Pac-12 season and, and hurt himself again. And, and, and so without D'Anthony Mountain and Benny Bowler, we were still able to come in second, go to the championship game against a tremendous Arizona team with DeAndre Ayton. And, and, and so we thought that team actually overachieved uh, because of losing Melton and Bowright uh, and still putting itself in position. I said, we came in second place in the Pac-12 the first time in 25 years at our school and had just gone to two NCAA tournaments before that and had won two games in the tournament uh, the, the year before. So we were good enough, Andy, to win uh, numerous games in the NCAA tournament again. Uh, but unfortunately, we didn't get that chance. So, so we, don't, we don't sit around here and, and think about that or talk about it anymore. What, what happened happened. But uh, I, I do want to bring up the point that what, what you just said, just because we didn't go to the tournament doesn't mean we didn't have a good year. We had 24 wins, which is the second most in USC history. And, and so it kind of diminishes what Jordan and Shemezi and Elijah meant to our program by saying that, that they didn't succeed that year because they did. And they had a great year. You've had, had to coach or, you know, like many coaches, you've had highly ta- talented freshmen underclassmen who will leave early uh when you know you've got them for that short window what's the most important aspect of coaching them to to maximize their time with you and also you know the ability for them to help you uh win games and achieve what that team potentially can i think the biggest part of the one and done is having them buy into what the team is trying to do and being a team player because if you're one and done it doesn't matter how many points you average for a season or per game so if a one and done player averages nine points uh, like Cole Anthony Towns or or, uh, 15 or 20 it doesn't matter they're still going to be drafted like we had Kevin Porter this year averaged nine points a game for us he was a first round draft pick uh, but he was going to get drafted whether he averaged nine or fifteen, and you know. So, so I, I think the, the, a lot of the one and done players, uh, you, you see, they're, they're successful in college because they buy into the team concept. They just want to help their team win, and scoring is a part of it. But you, it can't consume a player about what his numbers or his per game averages are. So, I, th- I think if you can get the the whole team to be on the same page, you can be very successful with that type of talented player. So for for. Whether this is right or wrong, the Pac-12 does get judged a lot by the NCAA tournament. Um, what's your level of optimism right now as we get closer, media day will be in about six weeks, uh, about where the league stands right now heading into this season uh, in terms of its depth and teams that uh, you know seriously could get in and, and advance? I think the league is exceptional this year with the talent level, uh, a lot of returnees, and, and then some really good recruiting classes that a variety of teams have had, including us. So it will be a transition year, but I think it's transitioning upward because of, of the talent level. And we just have to get off as a conference a good start in the out of, the out of league games. And that's hurt us in the, in the past couple seasons. Our league's had a lot of injuries and some key players out around the conference, which prevented some, some, uh, or, or was partial to, to uh, prevent so some big wins in the out of conference and we have to do a better job including us so so we're looking forward to the out of conference season but i think our league is going to going to be a, a multi-bid league with a lot more teams in this coming year than they have we have uh received the last two years by the way how'd you score the villanova exhibition game uh to get the nova to fly all the way across the country for an exhibition game 
<laughs> well, we are the beaches and the sunshine, so I'm from Pennsylvania, and, and uh, uh, so uh, I'm sure they want to come out and, and hang out. No, it's, a, it's a great experience for both teams. I think uh, Villanova, obviously, with the success with Coach Wright and their players, and to get them to come and, and play on the West Coast, I think it'll be great for their team and also great for us to have such a high-quality opponent to come in. And, and obviously, the, uh, uh, with the charity event, all the money will go to the uh, damages to the wildfires here in California. So it'll, it'll be a should be a terrific uh, basketball game and be televised and, and, and have a great crowd. And, and at the end of the day, we're, we're raising money for a terrific cause. And you're talking about your schedule road game at Nevada, where Steve Alford's now the head coach. Pepperdine, by the way, for those listening, they're one of my sleepers. I think they're going to be a top four WCC team. Temple's going to be probably top five American. You know, the tournament you're in in Orlando. Uh, you know, if you beat, well, either way, you're going to play Davidson or Marquette that second night. And I think those are two NCAA tournament teams. You got TCU uh, in, in December, and then you got an LSU team that should be an NCAA tournament team at the very least or bubble uh, in December. So there's a lot of opportunities here uh, to get those kind of quality wins. Before I let you go, veteran player. Uh, we talk about the freshmen. If there's one veteran player, because you're going to need a veteran, obviously, to you know, be in the tournament to win and advance. Uh, who do you hope can deliver for you uh, and give you that experience uh, as the season progresses? Well, we have two seniors. Nick Rakosovic averaged fourteen and nine last year, and Jonah Matthews averaged thirteen a game for us as shooting guard. So Nick six foot eleven can play both forward spots and center. So those two guys have to carry us. They have they have the experience. They've played in a lot of big games. They played in the Pac twelve championship two years ago. They've been in the NCAA tournament. So they understand what it takes to win, and they have to be leaders on and off the court. If those two guys have terrific seasons, I think the, the team will fall in place. Well, Andy, I appreciate it. And for those listening, that Villanova exhibition game is October 18th. It's a Friday night at the Galen Center. And as you said, the proceeds will benefit the California Fire Foundation. So great for you and Jay Wright to get that thing together uh, out in L.A. in mid-October. Andy, appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Andy. Take care. And that'll wrap up this edition of March Madness 365. Uh, As I mentioned at the top of the show, we've got big things planned for the podcast coming up beginning in October. Uh, you're still going to get your uh, national interviews. We're going to add some elements that I think you're going to be really pleased with. So as always, you can follow our podcast on our social media platforms at NCAA.com and at March Madness. And wherever you download your podcast, you can find us, March Madness 365. Thanks for listening. March Madness 365 with Andy Katz, presented by Grammarly. AI seems to be all over the place, but with so many options on the market, How do you know what is good for you and your business? AI is no longer a plaything. It's a business imperative. Companies that already use AI for writing are making gains. If you want to beat the competition, you need an AI writing partner you can trust. One that will help you generate not just more content, but better. Grammarly saves your company from miscommunication and all the wasted time and money that goes with it. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that gives your team an instant first draft or the perfect last word, written in the company voice and tailored to their audience and goals. When every doc, message, and email your team writes is clear, compliant, and on brand, everything gets better. Inbox numbers drop, customer satisfaction scores rise, and companies can save 19 days per employee per year. Learn what better writing can do for your company at Grammarly.com. Grammarly, easier said, done.